My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who, deep down in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in, a kingdom that can permeate all of existence, if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. Welcome to this episode of Deeper and Wider, and I'm excited to be announcing that this will now become a regular release date every second Friday of every month between now and the end of the show. And to launch this episode, I am actually bringing to you a sermon I preached in September. And if people listen to this in future, I'm going to say September of 2022. I spoke at a conference known as Beyond Prophetic Summit, as hosted by Mark and Belinda Godfrey. I was one of many guest speakers, and I had the honour to speak on behalf of the Young Adult Demographic Church of Australia, particularly Perth, Western Australia. And it was a very humbling experience to speak on behalf of that demographic. Now, I made it very clear in the sermon that I wasn't speaking for all, and I was just sharing my voice in light of many conversations I have had with young adults, or should I say younger millennials and older Gen Z, in the context of what we are dreaming for, for the church in the context of the 2020s and in the context of our demographic. Now, I won't say too much more because that's the actual sermon, so you'll be listening to that in a moment. But just a couple of more things. As I said, I will now be releasing these episodes of this show once a month, and specifically every second Friday of each month. As I said previously in the relaunch trailer of this show, it's going to be a mixture of interviews, sermons, messages, casual conversations, and perhaps many more things. It's going to be a little bit more sporadic in terms of content. However, I hope to still bring something intentional and something you can re-listen to in future. Anyway, that's where the show is going, and this is the first of many episodes to be released once a month until whenever this show eventually folds. And so here's a sermon that I gave back in September of 2022, for me, last month, and I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the sermon. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Thank you as well, Belle. Uh, Thank you so much to actually entrust me to speak today. And I want to say thank you as well to to the speakers earlier. I've heard all these different perspectives and I've absolutely loved it. It's been deeply convicting as well, um, particularly convicting to remember my Pentecostal passion roots from from Matt and from from Adam around unity and also to draw forward the contemplative and as well as also 
here just to relax into God's presence, uh, to be a non-anxious presence. I'm just going to launch straight into it if you don't mind because we're on a schedule, I'm aware of that. So uh, let's dive straight in. As, actually, no, let's, let's pray before we do that. <laughs> Shall we do that first? Come Holy Spirit, and make us more into Jesus. And whatever is of you, let it stick, and whatever is not of you today, let it fall. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm here today as a representative of a young adult generation. Um, and in case you're wondering, I guess you could say I'm somewhat representing the younger millennials and of those older Gen Zs. I, I don't claim to speak for all, but I do speak as somebody who has had many late night conversations, particularly with young adult church goers, and some of them on the verge of quitting. Dozens of confession sessions around bar tables when they sigh and ask, Oh, what's next? What's the point of it all? And hundreds of more of DNMs of a deep-seated passion of those dreaming what's next for the church in this context, in this demographic, and for this up-and-coming decade, the 2020s. Now, in doing so, it's, it's too easy for us to say, oh, it's all them whereby our generation, I think wrongly, points out there, bringing the devices analysis against how bad, quote-unquote, the church is, yet we do so as if the church is somewhere out there to be poked at, yet we somehow never include ourselves as part of the very church we critique. That is something that we have to bear in mind in all of these conversations. We are all the body of Christ. It's not us versus them, it's us, all in our different roles we each play. So the finger pointing, I'm, I'm not for that today, and that's not what I'm going to do here. However, it is also equally concerning the cliche I often hear, which is, well, you know, no church is perfect. Yes, no church is perfect. However, sometimes when I hear that, I hear that in the context of some terrible things that have happened in church. And honestly, it comes across for our generation as a veneer of humility. Because whilst it is true that no church is perfect, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And we learn from our Lord Jesus that we are to repent. And so we should be the first to actually do the turn around, the change of the mind, changing our ways. So the cliche, no church is perfect. I also want to avoid that today. Yes, no church is perfect. And yet, I hope, and I hope from a place of humility, that we dream for a better way forward in these emerging times. The theme verse for this conference is Jeremiah 6.16, and it says this, and it says this in full. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And this bit wasn't included, and that's not a bad thing, but because it has a bit of a sting to it, but it ends with this. But you said, we will not walk in it. 
Now, I think this verse can be used as a way of exploring this question of what's next in the context of church for this decade and for this emerging demographic. Now, to be clear, I do not believe the ancient paths means that we go to some form of quote-unquote good old days of the 1950s Australian church where attendance was high. Well, because those good old days, they had their own sins, and as if scripture written thousands of years ago was somehow referring to a small pocket in the 20th century in a country that Jeremiah knew nothing about. No, instead we go more ancient. For us Christians, Jesus is the face of the ultimate ancient one, the face of God made flesh. And so it is in looking at Jesus and Jesus-shaped communities across the times that we can learn wisdom from in this emerging time. We have to be like people, as if we have eyes in the back of our heads as well as eyes in, of course, the front of our heads. We are looking forward, we are walking forward, but we do so as a reference point to also looking back to the ancient paths, things that have actually helped churches and our times throughout the decades and the millennia. And so here we are, 21st century followers of Jesus, looking back whilst also looking forward. We are committed to the long haul of dreaming a better way. But I'll be honest with you all. Our generation, and I'm sure multitude of generations, but I'm speaking specifically today for this young adult generation, uh, we're pretty tired. We're tired of the hustle world we live in. We're tired literally because of COVID, if we have been affected by it. We're tired of our own stress and the hustle world we live in. Quite frankly, we are tired of church scandals. We are tiredness of the loudness sometimes, the deafening loudness of church communities, as if they have to mirror the loudness of culture, as if we need more of, the, more of that. And yes, we do sign up. Yes, we do get involved. We do rock up. And some of us, we have that little front row group that says, so good, as an encouragement for every sermon. <laughs> But please, and I mean this in sincerity, let's not mistake our participation as agreeing with the way things are. Because if there is a theme I have noticed from hundreds, literally hundreds of these conversations I've heard, of even the most committed, by the way, is that when they're out of the service and most likely having a beer with their closest church friends, that's when they start to speak the truth. That's where they be honest about how they're feeling. You know, well, I've noticed we long for the ancient paths, a way of doing church that we learn from the master Jesus, where there is rest for our souls. And to that end, we dream. And I think in particular, we're dreaming of three things, yet rehashed for the 2020s. Number one, we're dreaming of tight-knit communities. As such, we believe we need to shift our emphasis to making these tight-knit communities a key priority. The earliest church met so regularly, I mean so regularly, regularly broke bread together. And they saw the larger semi-regular temple gatherings as more of a communal formation practice that sat equally alongside the other smaller gathering practices. 
I think we long to see that, yes, of course, Sunday gatherings are still important and are still central. I'm not saying that and we're not saying that. But it is no longer should be the main vehicle of community connection. That isn't to say that it's not a gateway to community. That isn't to say it isn't a form of formation. Of course it is. Corporate worship is amazing. And of course, many will say, well, we already do connect groups. Okay, yes and amen to all three. Yet the priority still seems pretty clear in that we still pour majority of our money, our majority of our resources, time, energy and training into, into doing Sunday on steroids instead of perhaps pouring money, resources, time, energy and more training into what? Doing really, really small intimate gatherings well instead. And so we dream. Number two, we are dreaming for a deep sense of the sacred. As such, we believe that we need to start to be more intentional with Things like spiritual practices that cultivate a sense of the holy, both in services and out of services, and in our daily discipleship. I'm reminded of a story from the pastor Mark Sayers. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of Mark Sayers. He's a pastor over in Melbourne. He, he tells the story of the times where he used to do outside-the-box church plants, and they all failed, by the way. Um, he used to do things like cafe church, for example. You know, those cool alternative things. He tells the story of a millennial atheist he met once who came to visit his now defunct cafe church. And you know what happened? It was very bizarre for Mark Sayers. Uh, Mark asked the man uh, how he found the service. And the man responded saying, it was all right. But I was kind of after, you know, like a church. And I think that actually captures it pretty well. Our generation are not inherently against trying a new way of doing and being church, but the real change that we long for is that we would much rather a sense of the sacred again over coolness or hipness or relevance. Like, sure, do connect with the culture. Yes, do bring down the four walls. And of course, don't be lame. <laughs> but can we please, please stop connecting in ways that just mirror the culture? We've already got plenty of cool in our life. We've already got plenty of cool, hip, relevant things. We've already got the digital culture noise scream in our ears. But you know what we are missing? The sense of the sacred, the holy. So please, we got to stop being treated as if we are superficial. It's kind of condescending. We don't need those smoke machines. <laughs> I think we long to have things like the contemplative mixed with the charismatic. I love the charismatic. I'm, I, I'm actually a pente at heart. And yet, things like silence as well, solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, these other practices as well, sitting alongside each other in the midst of, the, of course, the passion. Things like having awe, beauty, holiness somehow inserted really intentionally into Sunday gatherings and to our connect groups and into the daily rhythm of our lives. And number three, we are dreaming for an articulated kingdom of God-shaped response that actually responds to society's ideologies and practices that we have internalised. Like, offer us a compelling countercultural vision of why we should continue in our faith. Because there's a lot of us leaving, unfortunately. 
As such, we believe we not just not just to preach scripture, but to use scripture to actually respond to the cultural moments we are in. Think about this. This kind of hit me the other day. Even the very scripture itself is written um, is written in ways that does not just preach scripture. Think about it. In every single instance of scripture, the words of God are always addressing something directly to that situation. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, addressing Jewish cultural identity. Paul in Acts 17, he's addressing ideas circulating in Greek culture. He even quotes their poets. So it's not just enough to preach the Bible, we have to use the Bible as mediated through, of course, the Word of God made flesh to address the times that we are in. It's one thing to do Jesus-shaped biblical exegesis, which I'm all for, but it's another thing that on top of that, we also do exegesis of the culture and of the human heart through a Jesus-shaped biblical framework. Now, Given the many conversations I have had, I have a hunch that the two particular ideologies we'll need to address in our times are the psychological and the political. On a psychological level, the question that I think underlines many of this generation is this. Why would I continue to follow Jesus if I've already got good, mindful, psychological well-being practices? And I'm all for those practices, by the way. I'm a counsellor by trade. But I've seen a whole generation of kids who grew up in youth group and some younger young adults who've just left because they, quote, got their life together. We actually didn't offer them a compelling reason to continue the faith. We talked about how they're saved from sin, but not saved into a new, beautiful, rich life of union with God. On the political level, we wonder why Jesus that is preached as Lord of creation seems to somehow discreetly get downplayed to Jesus as Minister of Afterlife Affairs. Now, okay, don't get me wrong, I'm actually not saying that churches should either discreetly or explicitly preach one side of politics on the pulpit or anything like that. Often that is horrible and often, quite frankly, they then treat their political party preferences as a type of messiah in society. That's not good. And I don't care if that's on the left or the right or the moderate. And okay, we don't think that churches should weigh on every political issue because, yeah, I think there is patience and discernment that is needed. And sometimes the way to address the big things is by simply being an alternative community of Jesus in a divided world, a unified people, a different way of being. Jesus is not political in the ways that society is. So that's not what I mean. But we do need to be challenged in our politics on all sides, whether it be left, right or moderate, because we were all listening to the podcast and some of them get all their political zeal and channel it out there rather than the zeal of what it looks like for Jesus to be king in ways that transcend left, right and moderate. Rather, what would it be for us to rather seek the common good in ways that aren't partisan and for churches to be part of that? So, that cultural moments, both internal, the psychological, and external, the political. I think it's going to take things like intentional training the faith, taught in small group settings and also on Sunday mornings. And it can't just be information exchange either. It will have to be laced with rich discussions, laced with rich spiritual practices that we don't just learn new ways of being, we embody new ways of being in the world. And so coming out of these hours of conversation, those are the three big things. And they aren't that profound if you think about it. They're basically ancient practices of community, sacredness and spiritual-based practices, and kingdom-shaped teaching that are just rehashed for the 2020s.
They won't be easy, but it's a good challenge. No, it's actually, and this is an here. it's actually Jeremiah's warning in the last part of the verse we have to heed to. And that is that some won't walk in these ancient paths. Because we could continue to stick with the marketing techniques and the seminars if we aren't yielding the results of church growth and attendance. But here's the thing. The outcome of church growth should never be our focus. Now, some of us might say amen to that, but we can still leave and we still can operate in our churches as if we're basically functioning atheists because we still run our churches as if God doesn't exist, thinking we're the ones who need to prop it all up. But I'm serious when I say that growth should not be our focus because think about it. Every instance in Scripture, every instance in Scripture where growth is talked about it's always referred to something God does. The word of Paul and the, and the words of Paul and Apollos, they planted and watered. But what? What does it say in 1 Corinthians? God bought the growth. The preaching of the first sermon came from Peter, and then what does it say? God added to their number. Peter just preached. They broke bread together. They prayed for the miraculous, and they shared things in common. But in terms of the growth, God bought that. That was out of their control. No, they focused on the spiritual practices, whether it be communal or individual, in those moments. Even the, even the, even the, uh, the talk of the mustard tree. It's not as if in that parable of the mustard tree that the end product of a flourishing tree that we have to do some sort of rain dance around that little mustard seed to make it grow. No, God brings the growth. This is why there is rest when we engage instead in the ancient paths. Because it is not outcome orientated. By the way, that's actually really good news. Whether you're a leader or not in church, that's great news. It means we don't have to be so swept up in this anxiety of trying to make things grow. Because whether in church or in daily life, we're not called to be focused on the outcome of either success or failure. Instead, we are simply called to the task of being faithful to what God is calling us into. To be radically centered in the only moment that exists right now. The here and the now. Your job isn't church growth, because you can't even control that. But you know what we can control together as a family, as a body of believers? Whether we eat together, whether we do intentional spiritual practices both individually and communally in ways that shape us, whether we are generous to each other and to our neighbours, whether we do Jesus-centred teachings that actually speak into our cultural moment. And look, if there isn't growth, the solution is to recontextualise these ancient paths again, praying for the Holy Spirit to inspire new ways in these times. How do we grow should never be the question, but how do we become more faithful to the ancient paths in our context? And that is all I want to say today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Deeper and Wider. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe and share far and wide. If you want to get to know me, then follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore Forster or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.